Well, God bless you this morning and welcome back. I hope you had a good night and are refreshed and ready for this day. I've enjoyed this time at Youth Rally. You know, I don't think I ever attended a Youth Rally. There were none when I was growing up here. It's been a good invention, and I appreciate the opportunity to see this many people gathered together from different places and uh, people from here and also from Virginia Beach and also from Harrisonburg and who knows where else is from. Welcome to your home folks here. Glad to be in a special place and special people here. The theme of this weekend has, has been uh, called the Third of the King, which was mentioned already this morning. And we've tried to base a lot of what we've been speaking about on a verse in John 12. The verse in John 12, verse 26 says, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So yesterday, we talked about some things that hopefully gave insight into how we can be part of this verse, going down this road uh, with the intent of arriving where Jesus is and, and blessing him and other people on the, in the process. The first message yesterday was suggested I could do a recap, and I think I will. The first one was, please this day, because no one gets inside this verse without a personal choice. We've got to make it very clear that the greatest barrier to getting inside this verse is not the world, it's not the devil, it's not your circumstances, it's, it's the uncrucified self-life, it's me, it's I, the, the unbroken will that keeps me outside of this, this understanding. No one enjoys this life without yielding and seeding the battle to Christ so we can get inside this, this wall. The second one was a vessel prepared. And what happens when one says yes to the call of the king? We're formed as a vessel for his use, but we're also chosen as a vessel for his use. And only two things can keep us on the shelf. One is if we refuse to be cleansed, and the other is if we refuse to be used, we will never be profitable to the master. And if we, if we refuse to let go of things God puts his finger on, if we, if we always say no to things that we're asked to do, it's inconvenient, or it's not our gift, or it's not our thing, Often that just keeps us from being used as God would have us to use. And then we talk about treasures and vessels. In our service to the King, there's two things to be concerned about. The first concern is does God accept what I'm doing for Him? This thing that I call an honor to Him, is it actually an honor to Him? We talk about motivations, love and humility and sacrifice and God's grace upon Him. But the second thing we talk about. Is, is this effective among men? Because God calls to serve men in order to show him, show them Himself. And if our service makes men see Jesus, that's effective. If it does not make men see Jesus, it is, it is ineffective. I want to make a clarification because I didn't want to be misunderstood yesterday on this point. I did not mean to say that the grace and power of God in your life replaces the power of the Scriptures. I don't know if anybody read that into that, but um, the power is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God, uh, Paul said. And the Word of God and the influence of the Spirit is, is powerful to bring men to Christ. Um, but even the Scripture needs to be used properly. Satan misuses it. Every false Christian branch uses Scripture to prop up its claims. And I think that Scripture can be used in deadness of spirit and not have the effect that it is when it's open with obedience and vibrancy of the spiritual life. That's what I meant to say. 
This morning, when we keep thinking about this theme and service to God, we use the same key verse, the same text. There's a story that's blessed me many times, and I've thought of, and um, it was told to us in a Central American ministry meeting one time. When the speaker shared this, this, this rabbi long ago was walking along an unfamiliar path in the dark. And somehow on his way to where he was going, he made a wrong turn and bumped up against a rock wall in the, in the darkness. And he was looking, trying to get his bearings and looking around his surroundings. And he heard a voice up on the wall say, Who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi stood there for a minute and, and thought. And then he asked the voice of the Roman soldier on the wall, how much do they pay you to stand up there and ask people that question? And he said, well, they, a denarius a day. And the rabbi thought, well, I'll pay you two of them if you come to my house every morning and ask me that question. Uh, who are you and what are you doing here? It's a very important question. It's important for us to think about. That's a question we all need to answer. And if we're ever going to be inside this verse, this text, this calling to to follow and serve and arrive where Jesus is, we need to be answering this question. And there's many ways we can answer it. And Jesus needed the answer to both these things. And when he was 12 years old, if he was left, I guess, at the temple, he, he was there for several days, and his parents finally found him. And in Luke chapter 2, when they finally found him and asked him, Son, why hast thou dost dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing, and he said unto them, how is it that you taught me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Now, he answered the Roman soldier's question perfectly. In his answer, he was saying, I am my father's child, and I am about my father's business. That's what he was used to do. And I guess my prayer this morning would be that you would answer the same way. Who are you? I belong to the king. What are you doing? My business is a father's business. That's what I'm calling you for. I'd like to give out the title of the message this morning, My Father's Business, and think about what Jesus was about, what we must be about, and I'll guarantee you that there's no unemployment a person about the Father's business. Unemployment in the United States is about 4.1%, but in the kingdom of God, there should be zero unemployment. There's plenty to do, there's many places to plug in and work with Him. But how do we define it? How do we know if we're successful at it? Where do we latch onto it? What is it? I visited another state uh, a few months ago, and someone that I known from a few years back met me at the airport and took me home. He said, Do you have time to come with me? I'll just show you around this afternoon. This man is a businessman. And on the way down toward his house, a couple of hours south, uh, we were driving along, and he said, Oh, up ahead, that's one of my trucks. And sure enough, there's a, a tractor trailer heading south with some. Uh, with a container on the back. Christine said, oh, there's one of my trucks going north. And uh, we saw two or three of his trucks on the way home to his, his area, his place. And we pulled into a gas station and said, over here's my uh, truck wash. Here's where we do repair work to our vehicles, and, and here's where other trucks come, and that's we had mechanics here working on, on the trucks. Then he pulled into his, uh, his shop and showed me his tape pressing equipment. You probably know who this is now. He, he, he showed me around. He has a business of, of cutting straw and hay and farming many acres and wringing bales in there and, and pressing them. And he showed me the hydraulic press, one and a half million pounds per square inch, and he built this whole thing himself. And he had the, the brains and the understanding and did the research and made this thing a huge pump with hundreds of gallons of oil, pressing this hay down into a, 
solid chunk and cutting it up and sticking it overseas for sale. So we know that works. And he took me over to 50 acre blueberry fields. I said, here's where our blueberries are, and this is this time and this time, and harvest is just over, half some. Then he took me to his 30 acre hazelnut grove. And he said, let's go and visit my, uh, my employees. In fact, my employees are shipping cattle this afternoon. Let's see if they've got them to get them over there. And, and they had cattle around the open trail, and they were um, waiting on the trucks to arrive. And he took me past his manufacturing shop. Here's where we build bale handling equipment, and here's where we manufacture some of the equipment that's down here. And, and by the time we were finished, my mouth was hanging open. This man has a mind that wouldn't quit, uh, ideas that would... That, that were impressive, fascinating varieties. And on the way to church that night, I asked his son, he had two sons working age, and I said, what part of your dad's business are you part of? And they said, he was, they said, maybe in the farming area, it's impossible that the son would do everything the father would do. They can latch on to a certain part of it, and they're employed, and they're working, but the father has the whole thing under his it's you. He's watching a broad spectrum. They're focusing on small parts, so they're plugged into it. When we think of our father's business, it's broad, it's wide. It's not just one thing. There's a vast variety of things to take care of, of goals and investments. And there's so many ways you can plug into it. We might plug in this side. You don't have to scorn the one that plugs in over here. But it's all about what God is doing. And different people have different gifts and do well at different things. What is this business all about? I guess uh, you're sort of like a four-year-old asking the CEO of SpaceX, or what do you do at work? It'd be sort of hard to explain that, wouldn't it? Uh, but God's vision is broad. He has a universe to run, a, a, a heaven to, to oversee, and plan to execute. But here on Earth, there's a story being written that started at creation that's not quite finished yet. And I'm there's going to be history classes in heaven, and I wouldn't be surprised if we learned about many things. I believe that the, the history line that we will be most interested in is the story between God and the devil and humanity and how it all played out. And in heaven, there's no uprisings. And among the galaxies, there's no disorder. But it's only here on earth there's still battles to win and things to accomplish and, and things to prove and decisions to make. And that's why it's right here that the Father's business becomes our business. We can't control much else, but here we have something we can do. We can plug into it. I'd like to suggest this morning a summary of what I would say is the Father's business, a short, easy-to-understand summary of what the Father's business is to you and me, what it's all about. And this provides an unending source of opportunity. We can plug into it in many ways. And I hope we can all find employment there. I don't know of a person that would would uh, not find fulfillment in a fruitful life. I think all of us find joy in doing things that God values and other people can benefit from. Now, when God created angels, a certain percentage of them rebelled against God. When God created humanity, uh, all of them rebelled against God. They sinned and fell. But here we are, a group of people who have chosen to voluntarily submit and obey the king of kings. And that puts us in a very unique position, because we have chosen to do what the angels didn't do, what some of them, what humanity has chosen not to do. And 
And we're giving God something that other things didn't give Him. Voluntary service and honor and obedience to Him. And it's making a statement. And we're making a statement this morning that given the choice, we'd rather serve Jesus than live for ourselves. We'd rather bow to the King than be independent from God like many other things have chosen to do. We're making that statement. And we're showcasing at the same time to the world around us what it looks like to live the way God intended us to live. And so we live under His rules, His influence, by His Spirit, and we're showcasing, and other people are seeing, this is what God meant when He created humanity. This is what we're supposed to be showcasing. We're supposed to be living out. And Scripture says that God uses that. He says He, he shows through the principalities and powers, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. It's almost like He is looking at us and looking at them and saying, out of a perfect environment, you chose to rebel. Out of a sinful environment, you chose to obey and submit to me. And that's a huge contrast. And that's part of the beauty of our choice to serve and follow Him. And that's the wisdom of God through Christ to make this possible. I'd like to guess this morning that God's primary purpose for saving you was not to make you a missionary, not to make you a spiritual worker or a marvelous servant, but that you would be to the praise and honor of God through your life and through your resources. Your uh, if you look at Ephesians 1, you can even choose to look at it or listen to me read it. So there's one phrase in there three times through the first several verses. I'm, I'm going to read the first time it mentions it. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, it says, According as he, as he has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, a couple other times it mentions, but if you summarize that, it says, You have been made accepted in Christ to the praise of the glory of His grace. When we look at salvation, we tend to have a very selfish point of view. We look at it and say, this is for me, it's for my salvation, it's for my get-out-of-jail-free card, it's for my eternal happiness. God says, you have been made accepted to the praise of the Lord of His grace. In verse 12, it says, we have trusted in Christ, we received His inheritance for the praise of His glory. In 23 and 24, give the idea we have received the Holy Ghost even to the praise of His glory. And it seems to me that whenever and wherever God looks at His children and sees them living and acting and speaking and doing and deciding as they should, that very decision is to the honor and glory of the King because it's a voluntary choice that gives Him glory. It honors His name when we do that. And then God saw Job and God sees you and and points you out and says, look at that. This is life as I meant it to be lived. This is what I had in mind when I created humanity. Here it is. Voluntary choice. Every cleansed and trusting, transformed person is a reflection of that, that glory. And I would suggest that the first, the first item of the Father's business is that, is that the praise would flow from us to Him. The praise of flow. And this works out in a couple of ways, two ways at least. First of all, is the praise that happens from my life toward Him, the voluntary bowing of my, my 
trust in my will and in honoring him for praising him. And, and Hebrews 13, 15 says it this way, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, you remember Satan's complaint about Job. He said to Job, no, or God, no wonder Job fears you. you. You've blessed him so much. You've protected him so much. It's no wonder he fears you. And praise in good times is always acceptable to God. I hope we're doing that this morning and this good time. But I think that praise in hard times especially sends a message to God and God's enemies. When we can praise in hard times, that sends a message to God and those that hate him. Like Job said, though he slay me, still will I trust him. And when Job praised God from the ashes, and when Paul and Silas sang from the prison house, and when the martyrs sang from the fire, all the complaints that Job has about the unfair advantages of God's people are stopped. He can no longer say they're only doing it because you're being nice to them. You're, you're keeping them from all these hard things. When we do it from, from, from the fire and from the difficulty, I don't think Satan has anything else to say about that. That's one way that we, we, we go about the Father's business by reflecting honor to his name that way. There's a second way, and we heard of this yesterday in the verse in Matthew 5 16, and we commented at length on this. But it said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so there's a triangulation here. And we don't go about serving the Lord for the, for the impression of other people. That's not our primary goal. We do it so God to be honored. So we do it for Him. Then our doing it for Him, other people see what we're doing. And when they see it, they glorify God in heaven. That's sort of the triangle that happens. So we do it for Him. Others receive some benefit of what we do or see us doing what we do. And they glorify Christ. This is triangle that happens. So whatever we do in the name of Christ, out of love for Christ, in the character of Christ, brings glory to Him, and that's part of the Father's business. We think that a step further, in uh, Paul pointed out how this works in Corinthians, several times Corinthians, he mentions this, this practical triangulation that happens when we, we serve the Lord. And one of the examples in 2 Corinthians 9.12, I know the context of this, is giving an offering to the needy saints. Maybe in Jerusalem, maybe somewhere else, but the need to look at the offering the donation of saints. It says this For the administration of this service, you have to think through this pretty carefully, get the wording here. The administration of this service not only supplies the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this administration, they glorify God, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. So, in the body of Christ, needs are met. Uh, outside of the body of Christ, sometimes needs are met. But in this, in this meeting of others' needs, there's two reasons that's valuable. First of all, the need was met. That's maybe the first thing we think about. There was a lack, so we supplied it. There was a need, so we helped it. There was a project, so we worked on it. And the need was met. And the body of Christ is very important. But that's only half the reason. The second half is that it is abundant by many thanksgivings unto God. And so, you met the need, and they praised God because of what you did. Now, here's, here's back to the point. Part of the Father's business is that the praise may flow to the Father. 
And so we do it ourselves, and we do it, we generate it, we help it, and we help each other. And they respond by saying, bless the Lord and thank God for such a thing as this. This, this brother, this congregation, this need, this help. How many of you ever experienced that? A deep need, and somebody stepped out of their way to help supply that need, and said, thank the Lord. That was so timely. That was just what I needed. Great God for that. They were counseling and wisdom, or encouraged when we needed their material help. And, uh, and in this case, they did two things. The offering was given, and the people that received it both praised the Lord and praised for the ones that gave it. So it works both ways. It's a blessing both directions. Back in, back in Floyd County, we were looking for a place to live a few years ago, and, and we bought the oldest, cheapest thing on the market. It was an old house. And I had in mind, I'll put a lot of muscle work into it. We can maybe get this thing movable after a while and, and maybe get off a little cheaper than otherwise. And so we ripped into it and tore things apart, and then we tried to put it back together again. And uh, with some help, I could slowly advance on framing and uh, ripping things out and, and uh, insulating. But there's a few things that were just a little beyond my taste scale. Electrical work was one, plumbing work was one. I just was not informed about things like that. And so a brother over there said, hey, can I help with your electrical work? I said, you sure can. And he said, well, I can't spend all the time. I'll give you an idea, and I'll show you how to run some things. You can do some drilling and pulling wire and help run it up. And so we did. He came and spent hours and spent some days on that. And can you believe the joy when I flipped the switch and the lights came on for the first time in a year in that house? My feeling was, praise the Lord for John Wilker. Look what he did. Look what he helped me do. And we came to plumbing. There was not much plumbing in the house. It was still all over on that. And I had even less ideas about that. And uh, Eldon calls up. Hey, can I help you with your plumbing? I said, you sure can. And so he helped run pipes and he helped get things done. And, and even now, sometimes it crosses my mind. I turn the faucet and the water flows out. I said, praise the Lord for, for Eldon and for Willie and for Josh Brown and the people that that gave me some support on this project. It works. That's how it's supposed to work. The need was met. That's great. And if we are living in this realm of the Father's business, what we do generates this burst of thanksgiving to the Lord for, for the, what His people have done, what His people do. Sometimes in, in missions, we question the, the value of humanitarian work. At least I've questioned it. Things that do simply for the physical benefit of other people. You know, you feed a sinner, or you've got a fool sinner. If you uh, heal a sinner, now you've got a healthy sinner, but you feel a sinner. And so, uh, I've often questioned, is this really the most important thing? We have a clinic down there, and my man has one or so. We're starting, hopefully starting another one. And uh, I wonder about the value of that. Was it doing anything, helping the sick, isn't necessarily saving souls? But let's give a contact. And every day, there's dedicated nurses that go in there and, and meet people and listen to them and hear their complaints and prescribe medicine and hear backgrounds, maybe give some counsel. And, and, uh, and they go on their way. They might see them again, they might not. Some relationships are formed. 
And they're ministering largely to lost people. Not always, largely. There's other believers that come. But I wonder if every day, if somebody doesn't stop and think, what makes them so kind? What makes them want to do this voluntarily? I wonder if every day there isn't someone that kneels on a dirt floor somewhere and just says, Lord, I thank you for the help that these dear people are offering. And this triangulation is happening. In the loss, it says, what makes them do that? In the faith, it says, praise the Lord for letting them do that. And so we're generating this ongoing praise to the Father for what He does for His people. Number, Numbers 14.21 is a beautiful verse. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. It's a beautiful thought. So part of the Father's business is generating praise and honor to Him through my life and my actions that the praise would flow. And I believe if you go through life and leave behind you this thought, this thanksgiving, this praise to God, the people you touch and influence in your life, the situation you handle, the service you render. If believers thank God for you, if unbelievers stand back and say, what makes you tick? What makes you work that way? If, if in your passing you leave the aroma of Christ, this is the Father's business. That's what you're here to do. One of the things you're here to do is that. Now, in Numbers it says the earth will be full of the glory of the Lord. In Leviticus, it goes a step further. I'm sorry, in Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as water cover the sea. And if the Father's business is that the glory would flow, the praise would flow, the second step is that the world would know. I believe that's a, a fine second understanding of, of what the work of God is, the, the Father's business is. And I believe that the spreading of the knowledge of God is something very close to his heart. And uh, it should be at the heart of our working with people. And I believe here is where, where, where Christian understanding goes beyond human compassion. We can spread the, the glory of the Lord and honor his name, but men of the kingdom say, let's fill the world with knowledge of the God we serve. And I believe that's what what Christian missions should be about, whatever else they do should be about that. And the Father's businesses of the world would know. And so people need to know the truth about spiritual things, the reality that Scripture shares about life and death and beginnings and endings and spiritual truth needs to happen. This is not just a world problem. Scriptural and spiritual illiteracy is becoming more and more American problem. Uh, I read somewhere recently that that 50% of high schoolers thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were probably husband and wife. And a number of them thought that Joan of Arc was probably Noah's wife. Um, scriptural illiteracy is not just here, it goes in many places. So the truth of the Lord must be at the tip of our spirit. It needs to be the, the focus of our, our outreach, the truth about things. And you know that Jesus belongs to them, where we go in all the earth. People need to know that Jesus belongs to them. He's a, he's a mediator that, that represents all nations. I know we, we have a tendency of uh, thinking of Jesus as a Western Jesus. If you read the story books and see the pictures, there's, there's definitely Caucasian there. There's definitely reflects our culture, our, our ways of seeing ourselves. I wonder if uh, Jesus went to Africa, he looked like an African. If Jesus went to the Inuits, he would look like an Eskimo. If he went to the, uh, 
Jesus. The agents here look like a nation. I don't know what they look like, but the, the nations need to know that there's a Jesus that represents them, knows their fears, understands their concerns, hears their hearts, and they have an advocate before God. There's a solution there. A solution for sin, there's a solution for guilt, there's a solution for the problems of, of life. There's a peace with God there. And so, the Father's business is that. The Father's business is that the world would know and understand who God is, who Jesus is. Paul said, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Some of the places this business will take you are not made your feet either clean or beautiful, but in God's eyes they are, are blessed because of what they're doing and the message they're carrying. And I've often thought that, that this part of God's business will always take you to cross whatever barrier and whatever boundary exists between the saved and the lost. Um, it could be across continents, it could be across town, or across the street, but there's always this, and Paul said, how shall they go unless they're sent? How shall they hear unless this is a preacher, and so we carry this message and we take it to them and share it. And I really hope that in the youth group this time, that some of you are gifted and blessed with the opportunity to do this part of the Father's business. Take the message and go with it. Cross the boundary with it. And live it out among people that, that have to see it. And wherever we are, we can do that. We can do it now, moderator, I cannot see a clock. Is there a clock in here? Thank you, sir. Oh, sorry. I'm going to press my wrist lock for that one. Thank you. That'll go. I'll get it soon again. So, the first two points that the praise would flow, that the world would know, and there's one more that I believe is by no means the least, and perhaps it is the greatest of all, because it's the point of all, and that is that the church would grow. The church would grow. Now, God loves His church. I don't think there's any, any doubt about that uh, purpose in Scripture. It's a great Scripture. There's evidence through that. When John saw Jesus in Revelation, he saw Him walking among the candlesticks that represented the churches. When he saw Jesus holding stars in His hands, thank you. They represented the leaders of those churches and the people that had the care of those churches in the right hand of Christ. What a beautiful place to be. That's a good thing to remember when you go through hard things. That's where we are. In Ephesians 5, it says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. There's nothing else he had sacrificed so much to do. When he created the world, it was his creativity. When he redeemed it back, it was his personal sacrifice that did it, giving up himself. God gives gifts for the church. In Ephesians 4, it says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I think God loves all his creation. And he knows their care and he feels they're going through this morning when, when the Syrian refugees are fleeing by the thousand out of the war zones there. He feels that. When uh, North Koreans wake up to another day of hunger and, and fear, he understands that. He talks about all of our infirmities. Creation was his first project. He understands and cares for it. But the, the Church of Christ is his his eternal project. That is the one he is, he is consumed with, with finishing and, and, and wrapping up and concluding and taking with him forever. All the creation that we see around us is temporary, except for the souls of men. 
But this verse here in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. Now to death in this thing, that the Father's business is anything that contributes to the building of the church in love. In Ephesians 4, 15, it says, that speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effect of working in the measure of every part, make an increase to the body and the edifying of itself in love. Now, as these young people reach more mature stages of the Christian life, some of the giftings may become more clear, and some of the, the areas of, of, of where you can best serve will become more obvious. But God will give you something that you can use for the upbuilding of His church. That He has promised to do. We can speak in for it. Some teach, open scripture, and find things in it. Some warn. Sometimes we don't care for people that warn as much as people that, that are, are merciful. But we need people that warn in our churches. I was with one a couple of weeks ago. He's known for warning people. Um, sometimes he hasn't had the best, uh, the best acceptance because of it. But he has the gift of a prophet that, that, that just lets people know where the dangers lie, and we need that, that insight. Some encourage special gifts with nurturing people. That's a gift that God gives to people. Some serve. Some attend material concerns. Somebody cooked this weekend. Somebody's going to put all these chairs away. And all that's part of what the stuff that it takes to make a church happen. Thank you guys for doing that. That's what it takes to make it happen. Some stand out examples. You know, some people just do a great job at, at meeting their neighbors and, and being a, a good neighbor. I, I've seen people like that. And maybe they're not so flamboyant in some ways, but they sure love their neighbors and neighbors love them back. But we just see that as a perfect example and it's a, it's a challenge. Some people raise beautiful families, we all see. But just their example of solid, foundational, uh, decent families growing up is an example of what God wants to do. It's an example of challenge to rest of us. Some stand out as an example of how to be cheerful when things are really hard. Uh, how to serve the Lord in pain. For God's concerned about Himself, His function, His prosperity, and that is the existence of the Father, and we can plug into that. Many things contribute to that. Somebody told me yesterday something that I think I'm going to put in my pocket and keep it. The further we get from Christ's standard of being willing to die for the brethren, the further we are from the biblical model. I believe it's true. This is at the heart of what it means to be a brotherhood. It's important to understand. God's concerned about that dynamic inside the church. Where that's missing, I think it's coming out. There's not much to hold it together. He's also concerned about the safeguarding of it, isn't he? You know, Paul wrote about this example in a couple of places about the body being the the uh, picture of what Christ is. And Paul knew about the body, about hands and feet and eyes and ears and, and things, but Paul did not know about cells yet. The amazing thing about the body is simply that that the cell is a basic living organism, and all these cells together, so distinct that they are, uh, do such a good job at making this whole thing function together. And so when you move an arm, there's thousands of cells doing that. When you play volleyball, you have so many different functions that somehow the organism worked as the outwork of this whole thing didn't understand that. It wasn't until recently they thought that the cell was simply a morphous blob of carbon and cytoplasm. In fact, I think um, 
one evolution theory can spell has ever proven any more than that, then evolution can't be true. And a hundred years later, it was true any more than that, in the last 50 years or so. I wonder what Paul had written if he didn't know about this part of life, how this works. We uh, had a biology class last year in our school, and so we studied through this. There's an amazing thing that goes on inside that cell. It's a little microcosm of its own. Inside that cell, there's actually a skeleton structure. There's a nucleus at the center of the cell, and from that nucleus grows these, these um, tubules inside from the, the, from the nucleus all the way out to the cell wall. And it's used for transport, and it's also used for structure. It holds the thing in rigid form. If you, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, or if you bounce your, your arm off something, each cell receives a tremendous amount of pressure that did not break, partly because of the structure inside each cell that hold up. There is border control in the cell, and there's a membrane there that's very careful about filtering what comes inside. And so between the cells, there's this area, and the, cell, the space between the cell is, is washed by a constant flow of, of moisture, and that's where white blood cells can travel, and that's where, where waste is flushed away, and that's where food comes through. But each cell is enclosed, and it's very careful what comes in and what goes out. Uh, water is welcome to a point, not too much. Um, nutrition is taken into special openings. A little bit of nutrition comes there, it forms a little glob around it, and it sucks inside the cell and keeps itself sealed off on the outside. Um, very carefully guard against viruses, that's something that can destroy it. There's a command center in there that has another membrane around it. And inside that, that nucleus is the DNA, which, if it would be in a job chair, it would be like a, uh, a house plan about 50 miles long. Instead of House plans wrapped up in papers. You can imagine 50 miles of that wrapped up inside there. And when it's copied, there's little sections copied out. And that working copy is sent down to the rest of the cell to be printed and make sure what it does. There's uh, cell markers, cells in the rest of the cells. As the white blood cell comes along, it's a cell marker. And this cell puts out its cell markers, and the white blood cell knows all that in one of ours. We won't bother him. And he goes on back and goes for invasion. There's two things that can kill a cell. One thing that can kill a cell is a breakdown of border control. I guess a virus is one of the most dangerous things in cell. A virus sends a little packet of, of, of uh, information, of DNA. When it gets inside a cell, by mistake, it'll start printing off copies of itself. The cell will mistake the DNA and that thing, the RNA, and start printing out copies of the virus as it so filled up the cell bursts. And spread other things and touch them here as well by the dangerous. And following the command center, if the DNA gets copied incorrectly, there either be a mutation or it'll be so bad that cell itself will die. And you take that example and think about it. I think in that you would find applications for family life, you find applications for church life. But the key understanding of Ephesians 4.15, the key phrase here that we need to remember is what the Father's business. The body grows according to the effectual working of every part. It's sort of like this. If God gives grace to your life, and, and you bless your congregation with the outworking of that gift and that grace, 
That's how the congregation grows together. Uh, I don't, I don't know that God doesn't bless the church only through the individual. I don't know if He does something over top or in spite of, but but He does it through the individual for sure. The grace He gives you is what what is contributing to the, the working together of the body, which every joint supplies. And this depends on everyone. I would just encourage each of the young people as you go back to home congregation to take this seriously. That God meant you to be an engaged member of the body, plugged in, uh, contributing your part as much as you can. Because if you belong to a church where everyone but a few are bench warmers, uh, it's a church that will grow very slowly, wheels will turn very slowly. If you're part of a church where everyone is plugged in, that's a vibrant group. If you're part of a group where just the ministry of pulling the weight, sorry, it's just going to be a hard job for them and, and a tough for them to realize. The body can grow according to the special working of every part. Next time you're at home, look around you. And try to imagine what Jesus sees there in your congregation. Maybe there's discouraged widows, maybe there's overworked mothers, maybe there's wayward teens, struggling youth, wonderful classes in the future, nursing home training, whatever your congregation contains. What is the Father's business there? All of us. He's concerned about all of us. Also, very highly, Stephanus and family. So they've addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's one addiction we can get behind them and support. Addicted to the ministry of the saints. Pour yourself into it, pray for it, go to them. Now, I'll just say this if all you do in life is plug into your church and let the grace of God flow through you into it, I know there's hard times, but. Build it up and love it and pray for it. That is not a waste of life. It's not a waste of life at all. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go anywhere else. You can spend your life very profitably right where you are in that problem. It's part of God's business. Every day we set out about our stuff, and work to live, and care for our families, and take care of the demands placed upon us. But every day we need to keep our eyes open because the Father's business is all around us everywhere. Pray to find it. Seek to engage it. Work to promote it. Move it forward, whatever that is for you. If that's your work, it's in your church, it's in your community, it's around your dining room table. That's where it is. And I would pray that your life and my life, the sum of it could be these three things that its praise would flow, that the world would know, that the church would grow. Some of our life would push that a little further, we push it a little stronger, the world know a little better, and somehow through our, our time of being here, the earth might be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea.